This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Hey there, I'm Soleil Ho, and you're listening to the Extra Spicy Podcast. On today's episode, we're talking about unions, and we're zooming in on Starbucks. The Seattle-based coffee chain with locations all around the world is seeing a wave of organization efforts in its U.S. stores. Inspired by unionization drives in Buffalo, New York, two Santa Cruz stores became the first to unionize in California after overwhelming votes for the union in mid-May. So today I'm speaking with Ella Clark, a high school junior and Starbucks barista who has been organizing her store in Mill Valley, which is one of 19 stores that have filed for union membership in the state. Ella's store will vote this month and count their ballots in early June. Starbucks is well known for its progressive viewpoints and for offering benefits like Starbucks stock, college tuition reimbursement, and paid parental leave to employees. Ella said she wants the company to stand by its values and recognize employees' federal right to organize. Starbucks has these core values. They outline their mission and they call us partners. And that shows that they care, that they want us to be treated as equals. They want us to have the same say in the company that Howard Schultz does. Unionizing is just us trying to hold them accountable to those values and really helping them work towards reaching those. Organizing at Starbucks locations across the country has been spurred in large part by young people like Ella, who works part-time while attending high school, and Joseph Thompson, an 18-year-old student at UC Santa Cruz who helps unionize their store. It's young people. It's, you know, Generation Z. Young people who know that we need change in our society and we need to continue fighting for what we believe is right. Nobody ever thought a 17-year-old could file for a union election at their store. But it just happened. And there's a first for everything. And that's the thing that gives me hope. Throughout the nationwide unionization process, however, Starbucks has deployed a variety of union-busting tactics. Starbucks put out something recently showing the benefits you get for working in Starbucks and then saying, under a union, there's no guarantee you would keep these. Now, of course, the only way they would go away is if Starbucks tried to take them away. That's my second guest, Ken Jacobs chair of the UC Berkeley Center for Labor Research and Education. He tells me that the wave of unionization in Starbucks is spreading, and it's unlikely to end anytime soon. But first, here's my conversation with Mill Valley High School student and organizer, Ella Clark. How does it feel to be part of this like nationwide movement to unionize Starbucks? Yeah, it's really cool. I'm in U.S. history at school, and We've been learning about kind of the union workers movement throughout history. Like when I first reached out to Starbucks Workers United looking for ways to help out, we were learning about the Triangle Shirtwaist Factory Fire. And it was just really, really cool to kind of be like, hey, oh my gosh, this relates to me. This is something that I can be a part of and that I am currently a part of. And just the whole time, my U.S. history teacher has been so supportive. Shout out Miss Dolan. Um, <laughs> she she's so excited, and every time we learn about unions, she's like talking right at me. 
<laughs> oh, that's amazing. Yeah. I mean, you must feel so excited to be a tangible part of history. I mean, I remember when I was in school learning about this and just thinking, where am I here? You know, as a teen, like just playing video games all day, <laughs> you know, like where where do I belong in all of this? So it must be really great to see something so tangible. Yeah, it's really, really cool. One of like my biggest beliefs in life is that if you see injustice in the world, you got to like correct it and that, you know, words are really important and you have to have actions that back those things up. And so being able to kind of stand up for my rights as a minimum wage worker and my coworkers and workers as a whole, it's really, really special. Can you tell me a little bit about why you are helping unionize your workplace? So this kind of started back uh, when the news in Buffalo kind of came out of how they were looking to form a union. And I saw that in the news and I was like, hey, I work at Starbucks. And the way that Starbucks was trying to union bus and shut down these unions really spoke to me because I believe that we have rights as workers, as human beings, as a woman, I have rights. It really bothers me when people's rights are infringed upon. And so this movement spoke to me because of how it related to me and how it frustrated me that our rights weren't being respected. So originally I reached out to Starbucks Workers United just being like, hey, I like my job. I really do. I don't know if unionizing is the right move for our store, but I want to support this movement the best that I can. <laughs> they got back to me and they were just like, unionize. The best way to support <laughs> our movement is to unionize your store. And a lot of workers in the movement before me were also coming from that. Like, we love our jobs. We love Starbucks's mission. We love their values. And we want to help hold them accountable to those values and that mission statement. So, okay, has the experience of working at Starbucks changed at all since you started this? Like, how is it now as opposed to before? Yeah, I'd say there's definitely a little bit more tension, like with my mm. store manager and district manager. Obviously, there is that elephant in the room. And it sucks because the system kind of puts upper management against the wage workers, which it really sucks. It's really frustrating because I do love my store manager. You know, we had a really good relationship before. I still think that we have a pretty good relationship now, but it has been slightly tainted, I think. I think that specifically with my coworkers, it's brought us closer together and that we're now sharing these stories of experiences that we've had with Starbucks and being able to kind of connect in that like all for one mentality. <laughs> and I think there are pros and cons to everything. And before any of us really looked seriously into this, we like weighed our pros and cons and explored all of the options. And we found that unionizing was <laughs> the best course of action. Yeah. I'm curious then just how have the stories that you've been able to share with each other changed your relationships? Like what kinds of what kinds of stories are you talking about? It's one of those things where we've all had really good experiences with Starbucks as well as bad ones. So sometimes when we're really short staffed, it can be really stressful and frustrating, especially if there's like a difficult customer. And through the union, we've been like communicating more with each other about things like outside of work as well. Stories of, like I said, like a bad customer or maybe it's your store manager or somebody who doesn't have as much information about the union making comments 
or taking down posters <laughs> and then getting shut down in that sense. Um, it's cool, you know, we all get to wear cool shirts together. <laughs> we all get to wear our little <laughs> nice. Starbucks Workers United pins together and it's really a bonding activity of like strength in numbers. Tell me about the posters. So you're having posters being taken down at work? Yeah, so the NLRB protects against hypocrisy in companies. So if you're allowed to put up non-work-related posters in the back room, for example, you're allowed to put up union posters. If you're allowed to talk about non-work-related things while you're clocked in, you're allowed to talk about union stuff while you're clocked in. And at first, we were still trying to get workers to sign authorization cards so we could even begin filing a petition. Posters were getting put up in the back that had information from Starbucks Workers United, pro-union posters, just trying to inform everybody about what was going on. And they continuously kept getting taken down. And in their place, there's this website called Starbucks One, which is Starbucks's view on unionizing and them trying to provide partners resources based on the information that they have and their opinions. So hold on, like partners, like what, what is a partner in the Starbucks world? So we're called partners because we get shares in the company. We are stockholders. They call us partners because we really are working together to make Starbucks the best it can be. And I think that's one of the amazing things about Starbucks that may differ from other uh, large chain companies in that I think that they do value us as individual human beings. It's frustrating when they call us partners, but then they don't really listen to us or they don't respect us as partners, as equals. Us forming a union is us trying to hold Starbucks accountable to the wording, the phrasing that they use. For example, they don't, they don't buy coffee from um, farms where workers aren't allowed to unionize. What? But then oh, okay. they won't let us unionize. How do you explain that? As I said earlier, it really just is hypocrisy. <laughs> I think that Starbucks is a very liberal company and we were all a bit taken aback when they started, you know, having those captive audience meetings, twisting the story, trying to shut down these unions because we did think that they'd support us a little bit, even though they are a big corporation and they really haven't. We are being forced to watch videos showing us how to vote, except that when they show us how to vote, they're checking the no box on the ballot. <laughs> And so partners who maybe don't exactly know what they're watching are going to just check the no box. Mm, I see. They're recommending that we vote no, as opposed to outright saying that we have to vote no, which is a sneaky little way to get around the law, which is, <laughs> it's really, really frustrating. Mm, yeah, yeah. And I mean, this is really interesting to hear from someone who really likes her job at Starbucks. And you are just, you're, you're trying to unionize and, and they're certainly giving you a lot of things to not like about working at Starbucks, unfortunately. Has it like changed at all your feeling about your future at the shop and with the company? Yeah, I mean, I really, really do like Starbucks. I don't necessarily want my career path to be all the way up through Starbucks, but I do plan on staying here at least until I graduate high school and then through college. It's disheartening for sure, but I think that once again, Starbucks has these core values. They outline their mission and they call us partners. And that shows that they care, that they want 
us to be treated as equals. They want us to have the same say in the company that Howard Schultz does. Unionizing is just us trying to hold them accountable to those values and really helping them work towards reaching those. So how do you begin to have that conversation about unionization with your coworkers? Do you just like talk to somebody while you're both making coffee and say like, hey, you want to unionize? You know, like how do you begin to get the ball rolling? It seems like such a big topic. Yeah, it was pretty heavy at first. So I started by just sending an email to Starbucks Workers United being like, how do I do this? How do I help? Another thing that's been really helpful is that baristas from other stores, stores that have successfully unionized, having partners connect with us to kind of teach us the way. (laughs) And I'll say in the beginning, I reached out to two of my closest friends at work. They're my age too. Like a lot of us are high schoolers. And so I felt comfortable talking with them openly about this kind of stuff. And we all do love our jobs. So it was a little bit scary at first. The way that we kind of started like branching out to our other coworkers was that we'd kind of just be like, hey, have you seen what's happening in the news? Have you heard about what happened in Buffalo? That kind of stuff. And just talking with them about experience, because at the end of the day, like we're making this decision to unionize as well. We're making this decision whether to vote no or to vote yes. And so just talking through with them, you know, like, what are your thoughts? What's your experience with Starbucks? Sharing our own experiences with Starbucks. And then from there, we can kind of really open up that conversation of like, (laughs) we're trying to unionize. (laughs) Awesome. And where are you at in this process right now? Right now, we're kind of in a waiting period. We filed on March 18th, and that was after collecting 30% of the store has to sign the authorization cards. And those are probably the union cards that you're familiar with. We ended up getting over half of the store to sign those. So that was a really cool experience. Amazing. And then we submitted those. So your ballots went out earlier this month. What happens next? We have until June 3rd to return those. Um, And those are like mail-in ballots, secret vote. And then on June 6th is our ballot count day. You're sort of in this limbo period right now where the process has started, but you haven't counted the votes yet. Has that been really intense? Yeah. A couple of days ago, I had a conversation with my store manager and we ended up talking about unionizing and how it's difficult because it does kind of pit us against each other. I mentioned how I feel very lucky that I've heard it very much worse at other stores like people getting fired, called out publicly, their hours are getting cut, they're getting written up for like the most minor things. And at our store, we've only had these kind of captive audience meetings, as well as there was an open forum like a week or two ago, and our store manager is making us watch that, led by Howard Schultz. And then there's also a presentation that Howard Schultz put together about the benefits that we receive at Starbucks. And we have to kind of sit through that. (laughs) (laughs) Right, like NFTs, right? Yeah. He also felt very out of touch when we're asking him to sign the fair elections agreement. And he's like, here, have portable cold foam blenders, which nobody has been asking for and nobody needs. (laughs) And Starbucks NFTs. (laughs) And you just kind of sit there and you're like, huh. Not what we asked for. 
doesn't really feel like you're listening to us. So there have been some news stories about your shop's unionization drive. And I'm wondering, have you heard anything from customers? Has that changed your relationship with them at all? Yeah, I haven't really heard that many negative reactions of customers. But it's always awesome when customers come in, they'll order a Union Strong or a Union Yes. It's so much fun to like shout at the top of your lungs. You're like, I have a grande latte for Union Strong. (laughs) Obviously, there has been that kind of response of like, but you guys are high schoolers, but you're making $16 an hour, which is above minimum wage. Like, but I would say that an overwhelming amount of the support has been positive. And I think it might be a testament to the bubble that we live in here, but it's been really, really cool. (laughs) Awesome. For anyone who's listening to this and who is also maybe working at a coffee shop and curious about, about your ways, what advice do you have for them if this conversation is sparking thoughts of rebellion in them? (laughs) Yeah, I would say just reach out, reach out to Starbucks Workers United Talk to your coworkers too. I think that communication is really, really important and that if people aren't necessarily a part of the movement or understand what's going on, then they might feel ostracized or vehemently against. (laughs) It's also really important to get all of the facts. Starbucks is putting out a lot of information. Starbucks Workers United is putting out information and really making sure that you're reading all of it with a critical eye because you know, everybody does have an agenda at the end of the day. So make sure that you're looking at all of your options and making sure that you're really looking into, is this the best option for me? Is this the best option for our store? And I think a lot of times it's a yes, but don't take my word for it. Oh yeah. What's the best drink at Starbucks? What should I get next time? I have been obsessed with our raspberry syrup. This is so awful, but I've been getting just plain ice (laughs) with like two pumps of the raspberry syrup blended and it's like it's so bad it's like it's like shaved ice (laughs) but you know when you put like the colored syrups in it it tastes like that and i've been oh it's so good it's so good (laughs) huh okay i will i'll do that next time well thank you so much for talking with me ella it's been such a privilege (laughs) yes thank you You're listening to the Extra Spicy Podcast. We'll be right back after the break. You can support this podcast and the newsroom that creates it by subscribing to the San Francisco Chronicle at sfchronicle.com slash pod. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. I'm Soleil Ho, and we're back with Ken Jacobs, chair of the UC Berkeley Center for Labor Research and Education. Thank you so much for joining me, Ken. Thanks for having me. So I wanted to start by asking you about just a big picture view of the organizing that's happening in like the United States right now. It seems unimaginable for Starbucks's to organize. I mean, what does this say about unionization at a national level? We've known that interest in unions has been growing in the last decade and really very much in the last few years leading up to the pandemic. And public support for unions is at the highest it's been since the 1960s. 
and support is especially high among young people. What we're witnessing in Starbucks is a lot of young workers, many of whom had experiences in, say, the, the Bernie Sanders campaign or Occupy or other places where they were exposed to unions and exposed to experiences and understandings about, about inequality in America and the importance of, of organizing and organizing skills. And they've brought that back to their workplaces to improve their lives and the lives of their coworkers. So you say that public perception of unions has, I mean, it sounds like it's improved. Have there been overwhelming sort of public stereotypes or misconceptions or disapproval of unions in the past? It seems like, at least I'm a millennial, so uh, I didn't quite grow up with, I guess, the bulk of that, but I'm curious. I think the biggest issue has been lack of knowledge. In the 1950s, you had a high share of workers were in unions, and that meant that lots of people grew up in union households. And if their parents weren't in unions, they knew other people who were in unions, so they knew what unions were and why they were important. Today, people just don't have the knowledge about unions. And I think some of that really started to change with some very high-profile strikes that took place in the years leading up to the pandemic, Um, notably the teachers' strikes first in Chicago and then spreading through a number of southern states where people saw public sector teachers standing up for education, standing up for students. I think that sparked a lot of renewed interest in unions and the vision of what could be achieved by workers standing together. And then, of course, going through the pandemic, we have large numbers of people who were told they were essential, but treated in ways that put their health and their family's health at risk. And while businesses that employed them were making record profits, they were not seeing the fruits of those gains. I think that combination has really helped push a lot of people into saying, okay, what can I do about my working conditions? Seeing organizing as a viable alternative. Right. And I see that you are on Twitter. Um, I'm sorry, (laughs) mutually. I'm wondering, do you think social media has a role in this? Because you mentioned that a lot of the folks behind these union drives are millennials, they're younger, maybe even Generation Z. What have you seen on social media regarding unions? Are people pretty active in talking about that? There's definitely been a lot of chatter about the Starbucks worker organizing and the Amazon worker organizing and others. So that has been one avenue where the word gets through. But I think it goes well beyond that. I think the Starbucks organizing has been so interesting because After the few stores started organizing in New York, Starbucks workers all around the country started contacting the union and saying, we want to do this too. Give us some advice. Now there's over 200 stores where petitions have been filed and the union is winning the vast majority of the elections that have taken place to date. Doing an election under the National Labor Relations Act is very difficult. Employers have learned how to try to delay the process as long as possible and try to get workers to decide to quit, make lots of veiled threats. And what's so fascinating in the Starbucks case is that it's not working, that in many of these cases, we're seeing elections go unanimously or with a vast majority supporting the union, even after all of the anti-union activity by the employer. 
So I spoke with Ella Clark, who's been organizing a Starbucks location in Mill Valley, and she said their union posters have been taken down, and the video the company had them watch about the union election showed people checking the no box. Is that what you're talking about when you say employers are trying to thwart unionization efforts? What does that look like? They do lots of things. They run what are called captive audience meetings, mandatory meetings that workers have to attend. In those meetings, they put out lots of scary stories about unions and veiled threats of all the things that workers could lose. For example, Starbucks put out something recently showing the benefits you get for working in Starbucks and then saying, under a union, there's no guarantee you would keep these. Now, of course, the only way they would go away is if Starbucks tried to take them away. Mm-hmm. No union is going to go in and say, we want to get rid of benefits. <laughs> right. Right. So, so you have Starbucks sort of making these threats. You could lose all the benefits you have if you vote for a union. So people aren't falling for that. But that can be very intimidating for workers. And in a lot of cases, you know, where People feel that their jobs are at threat and are worried about getting fired or they make veiled threats that they'll shut down. That has a big impact. And one of the other things we're seeing Starbucks do right now is announce that they were going to give raises to everybody who's not in a shop that voted for a union. And that's plainly against the law. Hmm. And Starbucks will almost certainly lose. But, you know, it takes time for all those processes to work. And again, under our current law, there are no financial penalties for violence. That's so interesting. Oh, my God. So overall, our labor laws need updating. But what is so incredible looking at both Staten Island, Amazon, and the Starbucks workers is that despite all of the things the employers are doing, workers are organizing themselves and are winning those elections. So I wanted to ask you about restaurants, particularly, and you know cafes. I had recently read some stats by the Bureau of Labor Statistics that had, I think, pre-pandemic, the percentage of workers in the restaurant sector being unionized at about 1.3%. And I'm sure that number is a little bit different now, but I'm curious, do you get a sense of like why unions are so rare in the restaurant world? Restaurants are a hard place to organize in general. I mean, there was a time in San Francisco where many more of the restaurants were in fact organized and much of those unions were busted in the mid-1980s. There are still some legacy ones that continue, but in restaurants, it's, and as we've seen with Starbucks, it's organizing one at a time with small groups. So that's a complex proposition. And then bargaining with one restaurant at a time can be resource intensive. And It's very difficult to make change when you have such a small part of any given market. What makes the Starbucks organizing different here is that these stores are all owned by corporate Starbucks. All the bargaining will be with one entity. You don't have that same dynamic. And so I think that really, because of the way Starbucks is structured, makes it more viable to organize under our current labor laws. That's why a lot of the discussions in the future around how we should change labor law and get into things like setting rules across whole sectors so that you can bring that floor up for everybody. What about people who work at like these mom and pops where there really is no greater corporate sort of entity, but it is just you and a person who owns this place? There was a time when the share workers and unions was high. 
that many restaurants in the Bay Area, even ones that were the owner had one restaurant, were organized. Hmm. Workers had unions, and that's because it was happening all across at once. And so there was sort of a common set of standards that was being built up in the industry. And we have seen in San Francisco a few cases recently where you know, individual restaurants were organized. But again, it's a slower process. And the big issue there is not just winning the election, but getting that first contract and uh, being able to make real gains at the bargaining table, which is, again, there's greater prospects for that when you're looking at a big corporation like Starbucks. Are the bigger unions like SEIU, for example, it sounds like they are pretty interested in organizing restaurants and cafes and Starbucks. Has that always been the case? The Starbucks union is a part of SEIU. And of course, SEIU started the fight for 15 around fast food workers. There hasn't been a large attempt to organize fast food workers in traditional unions because that was an extremely difficult prospect given how the industry is franchised. But I think that this, what's happening now is creating a lot of attention. I think people are starting to throw out the old playbook and looking at new opportunities given the strong interest of workers in organizing. Does unionization of an industry have any impact for people who are outside of it? Like, what would a customer of a restaurant care whether the cooks are unionized or not? Like, does it have an impact outside of the immediate workers situation? It does. Unions help improve wages and benefits for non-union workers. And there is a very deep relationship between level of unionization and level of inequality that unions have a big effect, not just through the bargaining in the, in the workplace, but that when workers are coming together and have a collective voice in society, in, in, in politics, they become a counterbalance to corporate power. And so where you have greater workers in unions, you also see public policy that tends to be much more favorable to working people. And you can chart it very clearly that the causal effects in the research are very, very clear that when unionization is greater, inequality shrinks. And when unionization has gone down, inequality has grown. So I have to ask you then... Based on what's happening now and what you're seeing on the ground, do you think that this is going to spread? Like the sort of, I don't want to call it a trend. It's not, but like just sort of the the reputation of organizing the the sort of um, the efforts by people in hospitality and the food industries. Do you think this has momentum? I think there is some momentum overall around worker organizing and around unions. I expect this to continue to spread throughout Starbucks and continue to spread in other industries. What that will look like elsewhere in the restaurant industry and in, say, in the fast food industry is hard to say. But I think there's no question that a lot of people are really looking at this and workers are seeing other workers succeed. And as they see other workers succeed, that raises people's hopes and possibilities and thinking, hey, this is something that we can also do. Well, thank you so much for your perspective, Ken. Setting the context is so important for this because you can get so wrapped up in, you know, um, individual news stories. So thank you again for this sort of broader context, historical context, and just some expectation setting. Thank you. Thanks again to Ella Clark and Ken Jacobs for chatting today. If you're a Starbucks worker who's interested in unionizing your store, Ella recommends reaching out to Starbucks Workers United. Wink. 
Today's episode was produced and edited by Karen Creighton. <laughs>